This morning, if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. So we've been hanging in Exodus for now three Sundays. And today, as I mentioned before, we look at the last, or the fifth, uh, lady that we'll deal with in four chapters. So there's five women here who trust God, Yahweh, and obey Him. And this is the fifth in four chapters, which is significant. As Exodus gets started, which Exodus is that great book where God redeems them from Egypt and then reveals Himself to them in the desert. So it's about redemption, it's about revelation, and it's a, it's a key book. Without Exodus, uh, the rest of the Bible would not make sense. So look with me this morning at Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to read 18 through 31 to get a little context here. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in, uh, uh, in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and and meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had uh, sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we bow our heads to worship You. Help us to do that by looking into Your Holy Word, Your revelation to us. Help us then to respond to You, Lord, in faith and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it's the little things in life that end up becoming the biggest things. So for instance, let me me put it in perspective. What is it? Nine years ago, uh, I made a little decision to go check out the new youth pastor at my dad's church. Um, you know, I was out of the youth group, but I wanted to see this new cat, Mike Hofer. 
and I wanted to, you know, hear him preach. And so I go into that service, and lo and behold, there's a good-looking woman that um, I position myself in front of, so that she has clear view of me. And and then afterward, I purposefully talk to her after, and uh, the rest is history. And so for nine years, we've known each other, and it was that little bitty decision to on a Wednesday night go into a youth service rather than to a Bible study that changed the course of my life. A little decision. Uh, And and isn't that how you find it in your own life? I mean, think about your breathing. Everybody in this room is breathing and yet it took all those little breaths over 31 years of my life to get me to this very point right here. We oftentimes forget it's the little... It's like what... um, what, what uh, kind of seen in Lord of the Rings, you know, you have to take that first step out of the house in order to get on your journey. Yes, it's a huge journey, but you've got to take the first step. It's the little things. Here in our passage today, it is the little things. Uh, it's little acts of obedience from two midwives. It's small acts of obedience from Moses' mother, uh, Moses' sister, and now from Zipporah. And these five women that are mentioned here in Exodus 1-4, through uh, these five ladies obey in the little things and they have ginormous, if that's a term, consequences. I mean, without those midwives' obedience, without Moses' mother and sister's obedience to preserve life, we don't get Moses... We lose a man. We lose a family. We lose a whole nation. And redemption is in jeopardy. And it's all because of a little act of obedience that seems small in the whole schema of things that could be brave to do in the world. You know, oh, well, yeah, you save your baby. And yet, in America, we're having to struggle against that. In Exodus 4 here, it's a fascinating uh, account that we've read. And starting with 18, we get a a, a pure narrative of of Moses moving back to Egypt. So he's been in Midian. Remember, Moses spends 40, there's there's three sections of 40 in Moses' life. 40 years he spends in Egypt being trained at, as we've said, the University of Egypt, so to speak, right? Then he spends 40 years in Midian... On the back side of the desert, so to speak, in the wilderness, out in Podunkville. You know, he's in Jackson, Mississippi, okay? Compared to rest everywhere else in the world, right? And then he spends the last 40 years of his life leading the people of Israel in the wilderness. <laughs> so <clears throat> he spends the majority of his life being trained to do 40 years of service for the Lord, which is significant. Notice here, now he's headed back to Egypt with this commission to go and say, hey, let my people go. We all know, you know the famous words, let my people go. Right? It's, it's, it's seared into our brains, probably from teaching our children uh, and hearing ourselves being taught. Let my people go. And he says no. Um, well, Moses gets this commission. God gives him certain miracles. And you remember what has just happened. I mean, if you read chapter 3, the burning bush, here's Moses taking off his shoes. Oh, wow, this is holy, holy ground. You know, Here's God. God reveals His personal name. And then God says, look, I want you to take my personal name to go rescue my people. 
from Pharaoh. I treat Israel as my firstborn son. And if he doesn't want to let my firstborn son go, then I'm going to kill his firstborn son. And Moses is like, yeah, this is, this is great. I'm glad you're going to do this. And God says, right, so I'm going to do it through you. And Moses says, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. And as I reread, I noticed how many times it says, but Moses said, hmm, X, Y, Z. He comes up with all kinds of excuses. And finally, he just says, quite frankly, look, I, I, I really don't want to do this. That's what he ends up saying to God. That's not a very good thing to say to God. Uh, let's just be honest. That's not, a, that's not cool when He's commissioned you to do something. But isn't that how we are? I mean, it really is how... I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, at church we need to do this and we need to do that. And then God says, right, I want you to do that. And we say, uh, well, I was hoping Christopher would do that. You know, I was hoping Jessica would do that. I like, I like her doing that. Or April doing that. Or, or whoever doing that. I'm using everybody on the right. So Deborah doing that. Yeah. So we say, yeah, that's a great idea. And God is the you know, great manager of humankind. And He says, right, so if it's, you have this great idea, do it. And we begin to balk. We begin to, to say, hang on, hang on. But I don't, I don't think they're going to trust me. I'm not trustworthy on that. I, I've never done something. They're not going to believe me. All the, and then finally, I just don't want to do it. And God gets angry at Moses and says, finally, look, I'll send your brother. He'll be, and it's interesting, I'm going to speak to you, Moses, directly. And you're going to be God to him. And then he's going to speak exactly what I say to him. So it's like this, I speak to you, and then you speak to him, and then he speaks to the people. And it didn't have to be all that. It could have just been straight to Moses, straight to the people. But Moses gets, uh, gets rerouted here into Aaron because he is complaining. He's trying to find a way out. And then probably the, the strangest thing happens in Exodus. Did you catch it as we were reading along? The narrative's flowing fine, you know. Okay, he's on his way back to Egypt. He's got his wife, his sons. Apparently he has two sons at least um, who are on their way back. He's got them going. They're, they're trying to get to Egypt. And God says, look, I want you to you know, do all these miracles I've told you. I want you to bring my name to Pharaoh, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden... Here's the Lord standing ready to strike him down. Apparently, I mean, the, the text is, is troubling. It does, it, it's almost like it doesn't even fit. It's like shoved in there, it seems. And you're like, what do we do with this? Here's God who just commissioned him, just called him, just empowered him, just sent him on his way, and now he's about to kill him. And he's either going to kill his son... Or he's going to kill Moses himself. The him there, pronoun, you know, the pronoun him there that it, probably Moses, maybe his son. I don't know. It's it's somebody at the scene. God is going to kill somebody, and because of Zipporah's quick action, by all of a sudden grabbing a flint, thank God for modern medicine, cutting her son's uh, the foreskin of his penis off and throwing it at Moses' feet. And saying, you're a bridegroom of blood. In other words, you bloody husband, you almost got us killed. You almost got my son killed. Or yourself killed. Somebody killed. And so God relents. Doesn't kill him. Because of Zipporah's action. And we're thinking, what is this? We like to kind of, you know, don't tell the kids. I mean, who preaches about this? 
besides me, you know. <laughs> Maybe that's not why many people are here. Um, who preaches about this? What do we have to say about this? What can we learn from Zipporah's quick action here dealing with something that we're quite unfamiliar with of doing ourselves? and may be confused about what is actually going on here. So what is going on here? Here's the first thing. God is using someone's obedience to save life. The little things. Now, this may not have been a little thing to you, but for them it wasn't that big of a deal. It had apparently been neglected by Moses though. I mean, Moses of all people... He's God's main man. He's called the friend of God. God gives him his own funeral. I mean, there's not many people in the Bible that get the, get the privilege that Moses gets here. And yet, he neglects something here that Zipporah picks up on and obeys. And so you have this towering figure that, that is so influential, and not just in the Bible, but in world history. Monotheism comes through Moses coming through God, His revelation to Moses. And that changes the course of all of human history. There's some odd, almost, well, almost 4 billion people in the world are either Christian or Muslim. Now, the next largest religion is Hinduism, which has around 800 million people. So nowhere close to these other guys. And yet, you know... Almost half the population of the world is either Christian or Muslim, and those are two monotheistic. But that comes directly from Moses. You see, Moses is not just influential in the Bible, in, in our culture, in our world today. And yet, he could have been killed right here if it were not the quick thinking of his wife. And some of you dudes are like, yeah, I know exactly what, what this whole story is about. At least that's how I am. Um, and you know, maybe maybe the aphorism's true. Behind every great man is a great woman, or some say greater woman, or maybe beside every great man. However you want to phrase it, doesn't matter. The point is true, though. We can't do it alone. God has shoved us out here as men, as leaders. That is our God-appointed task, and quite frankly, we cannot do it without our wives without the women in our life. Listen, I, would, I can tell you right now, I would not be alive if it were not for my mother praying for me. I mean, you think my driving now is dangerous? You have no idea. When I was 18, 20, 29, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was just a couple years back. I, I, I was careless, alright? But it was... I promise you, for my mother, I used to do some of the dumbest things when I drove. Like, I would drive down country roads, and on a moonlit night, I would cut off the lights just to see if I could drive it. When I had my buddy follow me, so he, would, he wouldn't be able to see me. Um, dumb things, and yet my mother's prayers have brought me to where I am today. I, I firmly believe that, because she's always praying for me. I can guarantee you, every single day, I know that my mother prays for me. I'm talking about every day. There's not a day that goes by that she doesn't pray for me. Even if it's not mentioned, she thinks about me and prays for me. Listen, that's what I'm saying here. It's the little things. How long does it take to pray for your children? Maybe two minutes? Can you give them two minutes a day? Because my mom has for 31 years of my life. And look at the impact it's had. 
I wouldn't be where I'm at or who I am if it were not for her praying. It's not that my dad doesn't pray, but I can guarantee you that she prays for me more. It's just the nature of what God has given to her. He has commissioned her with a duty in life. And even though it's behind the scenes and I may be up front and Dad may be up front, listen, we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for her. I wouldn't be where I was if it wasn't for Jessica in my life. If even now I'm hard to get along with, I was way harder to get along with before she came along. She makes my life uh, a plus sign rather than a negative sign. And you all know that as well as, well as I do. I accept that. I approve that message. <clears throat> so, God has given us tasks. And some of them are behind the scenes. And yet, as I'm saying here, sometimes it's the littlest things that we do that make the biggest difference, guys. Some of us need to get back to the basics. Start doing the little things right. I mean, as you already know, in a, in a football game, a block can make the difference. One block can change the entire game. One step to the right, because somebody did their homework and studied the play, can be an interception that changes the whole dynamic of the game. And that's what I'm saying about God's world. When you do the small things, praying in your closet reading your Bible, staying true to your family, those small things have great results. Great results. Again, you don't get Moses. Apparently, we would have lost Moses right here. That's what most scholars believe. We would have lost Moses right here if it was not for Moses' wife, Zipporah. Who, by the way, is from Midian. She's not a Hebrew. She doesn't have the promises of God on her life. She's not one of the elect of God. She was a pagan. Apparently her dad, Jethro, was a pagan priest. This is a fascinating story here. It reminds us of, of people like Rahab, who will later help the children, even though she's a pagan, even though she's a prostitute. Because she turns to God, because she decides to obey God in the little things, God blesses her greatly and she's in the line of Jesus Christ. See, the Bible doesn't denigrate women. It holds women's positions as high if we'll read the Bible. Nowhere is it trying to prove, like in some other religions, that women are incompetent. If anything, the dudes are, and the women are helping them out behind the scenes. An act of obedience. But what was her act of obedience? And that begins to trouble us, doesn't it? We're saying, okay, yeah, right on, Marshall, right on. You know, yeah, I want to be a woman that, 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 uh, that, that is obedient to God. I want to be a man that's obedient. So how do you do that? Well, cut your foreskin and your son's penis off. Oh, oh, yeah, um, wow. How does that fit in there? So what, what's, what's going on here? Well, here's what's going on is this. God cares about His covenants. God cares about His relationships. God cares about the signs that He has given us in these relationships. Abraham, remember this whole thing gets started with Abraham, right? That's where Paul goes in the New Testament. Jesus talks about, oh Abe, Abraham is our father in the faith. Why? Because God apparently 
chooses him out of everybody else in the world to reveal himself to, to make his promise with. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's the line of the promises. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. That was the sign. Now, in the New Testament, the sign of our new covenant with God, not the, not the old one that was with Abraham, but the new one with Jesus, is what? Baptism. Not circumcision. But the point remains the same here. God cares about His covenant, and He cares about His sign for His covenant. Baptism is not a side issue. It is a major issue. Taking the Lord's Supper is not a side issue. And people say, well, can you be saved without being baptized? Can you be born again without being baptized? Or, or does it happen at the moment? About, you know, I've had these discussions recently with several of my students that have, have run into some other denominations in the area. And here's the way I put it. Look. Baptism is necessary for our Christian life, but it's necessary with a lowercase n. Think of it that way. It'd be like saying, can you be a Christian without praying? Can you be a Christian without reading your Bible? Can you be a Christian without going to church and doing acts of kindness to other people, loving your neighbor? No, you can't. But all those are little n necessaries. Yes, it's necessary to read the Bible. Yes, it's necessary to pray. But ultimately, the big end necessary is only Jesus Christ. He is the only necessary person for salvation. Without Him, you're not saved no matter how many prayers you pray. No matter how many Bible translations you read. No matter how many times you come to church. If you don't have Jesus Christ, then you are not saved. You are not Christian. But when you get Jesus Christ all those other things become necessary with a little n. Does that make sense? That's what's happening here. God is about to kill Moses or kill one of Moses' children because Moses has neglected God's covenant and the sign of that covenant. Very important here. He obviously has children. Which is why we baptize children. That's why we believe it. The Old Covenant, eight days old is when they were circumcised. That was the sign given to them to Christian families. And today, if you are a Christian family, I mean, when I look at your kids, when I look at my kids, they're not Buddhist. They're not secularist. They're not Islamic. They're Christian. And they need the sign of that upon their life, which is exactly what we're doing with infant baptism. It is a sign of God and His covenant with us, with our children. It doesn't save you any more than, than, than saying a prayer. Even atheists pray when they get in a bind. That doesn't save them. What saves you is Jesus Christ. Not only that, God is concerned with linking Abraham to Moses. So, so as not to bifurcate the two, separate the two, God is saying, look, my covenant with Abraham is good enough for you, Moses. You're not, you're not getting some new thing. You're not doing your own new thing here. You're in the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. And not only that, think about the importance of this. With this little, little story, it's just two verses. What is it, two verses? 
Four verses. You have four verses here. Notice this. that The Jews would look at this and say, look, if Moses couldn't get away with not circumcising his children, I surely won't get away with it. I mean, think about how big Moses is to their understanding of the world. To their Bible. I mean, he wrote the law, the first five books of the Bible. And so if Moses couldn't get away from it, you know, it'd be like me saying, oh yeah, your kids need to be baptized, but mine, not, mine don't. You, know, you need to be baptized, but, but I don't. No. God says, no, Moses. You're not getting away with this. You have to circumcise your children to be in the line of my covenant. This is my covenant, not your covenant. It's interesting here that God commissions him and sends him and then wants to kill him. That same kind of thing happens, by the way, when they get into the desert, right? God delivers them from Egypt. He commissions them at Mount Sinai. And then He promises to kill them. Why? Because of their disobedience. Point blank. They broke covenant. It's not like God just changed His mind. Oh yeah, come on out here so I can kill you. No. They disobeyed. Moses was in direct disobedience because he had neglected his family. Which is my last point. What else can we learn from this four verse thing here? Odd story, strange story. Last thing is this. Moses was so focused on the nation. So focused on his call. Right? From God. Yes, I'm the one that's been called. That he neglected his own sons. His own family. And God says, you know what? You can't be my leader if you neglect your family. You can't be a leader in this church if you neglect your family. You can't be a minister of Jesus Christ if you don't minister to your family. Isn't that what the requirements of being an elder is in the Bible that Paul gives to Timothy? Absolutely. He says this, how do you expect to run the church if you can't run your own family? How do you expect to minister in the church if you can't minister to your family? Listen to me. Before your job or before your missionary call to your work or whatever, whoever you share Christ with, share Jesus with your family. Now sometimes, that's the hardest place to share Jesus. So sometimes if you share family, you know, Jesus with your family, <laughs> that can be a training ground for anybody else. I mean, think, just stop and think about some of the people in your family. I mean, your kids immediately. That's a tough place to be a witness for Jesus. And yet, that's the first place that all of us are called to. I know how hard that is. And yet, it is our calling. God cares about family. And before Mo, look, God has done all this work to prepare Moses, and He's willing to take him out if he doesn't minister first to his family. And Zippor is the one who has to do this. You're a you, you're a bridegroom of blood. You almost got us killed, or yourself, one or the other. 
Song of Solomon 1.6, which doesn't get quoted much. Song of Solomon doesn't get quoted much, so I figured I'd quote it today. Talks about how I've tended to other people's vineyards, but not to my own. Don't build a life for other people. Don't build a superstructure of wealth or prestige or whatever it is without first doing that at home. Listen, this is so important. At, you, know, you are you best at home. So if you're all angry and this and that and whatever at home, that's you. Not at work when you can dress up or not at church when you're nice and pretty and sane. But instead, when you're by yourself, when you're reacting with your family, that's where you see your character. And that's where your character, notice this, needs to be molded most. And yet it's the hardest place most of the time for our character to be molded. Jessica knows things about me that are compromising. She knows my failures and my weaknesses more than you do. And yet she loves me. And yet she can respect me. And vice versa. That's what love is. Love isn't something that's just on the surface where I can just see you on the surface and be like, oh yeah, I really like being around them. No. Be around them in the bad times, in the bad reactions, and then forgive them, and then love them. That is what Jesus is calling us to. That is loving your family first. Now, I know all of us in our values, personal value statements would put family first. And yet, do we? Do we really build our family do we really minister first to our family? It was beautiful because just this week, Christopher called, or texted me, or called me one, I can't remember, and he told me how his children are praying. And it's a direct result of their praying. They're praying like them. And our children too. I mean, both of them, you know, I'm just praying for... For our meal and thanking God for certain things, and, and the next thing I know, you know, I'm eating and he's over there. Da 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 da, buddy cha, buddy ya, you know, da da, no no no, he doesn't say anything, and then da da, mama, you know, and he, with his eyes closed, tight. And I mean, it's it's precious to me. Maybe you know nobody else cares, but it is yeah, because that little two year, just turned two year old, is learning the first things about prayer. Lifting up those you love. Speaking to God. Bowing your head. Closing your eyes so you can focus. These little things will one day be ingrained in that little boy in order so that if he goes to India or Africa or in American business or whatever he does in life, he learned to pray from his father. His father wasn't absent. His father wasn't building his own kingdom, but instead I'm building my family. You have to minister first to your family is something you don't want to outsource. You are responsible, and God will hold you responsible just like he held Moses responsible. And so the point here I think is this in Exodus, if Moses couldn't get away with it, Neither can Marshall Dag. Because here's Moses, here's me. Right? 
I'm nobody on the radar screen of, of God's kingdom. Moses is massive. No one knows my name. Everybody knows his name. If he couldn't get away with it, why do I think I can? So let me ask you this morning. Are you doing the little things right? Are you obeying God with the little things? I, I know we, we mainly in this room obey God in the big things, okay? You know, we're not out murdering people or plotting, I hope. Maybe I should say that after the other. No. <laughs> um, we're, not, we're not doing the big things normally. But it, are we doing the small things? We never check our... We, we always pat ourselves on Yeah, 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 I, I'm not this or I'm not X, Y, Z. But are we doing the little things right? Secondly, are we remembering our own covenant with God? Your own baptism. Do you remember your baptism? I don't mean the physical event. I mean the fact that you are a chosen child of God. You are in a relationship with God. That's what baptism means. You are part of the church. You're not just some podunk nobody. You're somebody that Jesus died for and gave His life for. That's who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. And then lastly... Are you being a minister to your family, to your kids, to your mom, to your dad, to the brokenness in your family, to your sisters and brothers? Because before we're called to the mission field, we're called to those people. And that sometimes is the hardest mission field. Stand with me as we...